Hello and welcome to the filmpulse.net podcast. This is episode number 75. My name is Adam. Today we have Kevin joining us. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. All right. Today we've got a great show lined up. First, we'll be speaking with director Colin Hoback on his new film, Terms and Conditions May Apply, which is currently playing in select cities. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching before getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show for a review of Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Mm. Yes. First up, if you think anything you say or do on the internet is private, you're an idiot. And you need to see our guest Colin Hoback's new film, Terms and Conditions May Apply, which digs into the nitty-gritty of privacy in the digital age. Colin, thanks so much for speaking with us. Before we begin, I'd like to just get your verbal acceptance that you acknowledge that this interview will be recorded and published on the internet via iTunes and other content delivery systems. Do you agree to these terms? I and do conditions? agree to these terms and conditions. Yes. Great. So then we we can get started. So let's talk about terms and conditions may apply. Let's just get your your synopsis of this movie. You know, I mean, my synopsis of terms and conditions may apply is is that. Um, it, it's really about what uh, these corporations have taken from us for years and years, the nature of this trade, and what they do with our information, how they share it um, with other companies, who they share it with, how they abuse our data, and ultimately their relationship with the government and the overall costs to our civil liberties. And what, what brought you to this subject initially? You know, it started from a very different place. Um, when I began work on the film, um, I wanted to, I was really asking the question, how is technology changing us? And the more I considered that, the less I was convinced that it was the technology itself. Um, you know, over time, we, we've had all of these technological advancements, the printing press, the radio, um, and each time there's been this massive sort of technological shift, there's always been pushback. And so that was kind of what I was seeing. I'm like, oh, well, maybe just the old guard is pushing back to cell phones being ubiquitous and in everyone's pockets, you know, um, and the Internet, uh, you know, it's profound impact. But uh, that question aside just didn't seem like the main problem. What seemed like it was the main problem was what's behind these technologies, right? That everything is, uh, you know, comes with this terms of service agreement, uh, really a contract. If you think back on it, um, you know, you never had to sign a user agreement for book or, um, you know, to, uh, to watch TV. But now you have to have this user agreement. You have this contract, this legally binding thing that comes with everything that we do. So really, I, I realized that, you know, it's what's going on behind the scenes. And what had really changed was that our privacy had been subject. Right. And I think that it's interesting because it, it's something that we all do. You know, we all sign or accept these terms and conditions. But you know, who really reads it? Who really knows exactly what's going on? But the funny thing is we're sort of forced to. If we if we want to use the service, if we want to use iTunes or whatever it is, we have to accept that. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, either you get the service or you don't. And to be a participating member of modern society, in many cases you have to use these things. So it's really a lopsided trade right now. And these terms of service agreements are designed not to be read. I mean, they're, they're countless pages long. You know, some of it's in, in all caps, uh, crammed together. Um, you know, it looks more like a texture rather than words and spaces, really. So uh, given that, it's, it's not really even fair that these things are legally binding. 
And now I think you might have noticed when you visit websites or you use an app, for instance, you don't even have to click I agree to the terms of service in many cases anymore. It's just, it's just that you sort of tacitly agree um, by virtue of visiting the site itself. So they've, they've become even more invisible. Right. And I think that Google's probably the best example of that. You can use Google, right, without agreeing to anything just by going to Google and typing in a search term and they're effectively recording your information. From sure. That. Yeah. I mean, and think about it too, because anybody can go and use Google. You can be seven years old and use Google. And then suddenly you have what is, what is effectively a seven-year-old agreeing to this contract. And if you think about the, how much data is being stored, if you can go back in time and, and say like a seven-year-old has, who has a Gmail account, you know, all of, their, all, of their questions to, all of their questions to Google are being stored and associated with that account. And so now there's this permanent record that's attached to us, and we have no ability to control that. We, we can't go in and say, I'd like to delete all of this that's been stored on me. Google sort of pays lip service to it, but if you go to their website and you try to actually liberate your data on their data liberation front, it's, it's mind-blowingly difficult. So. And I think that Facebook is the same thing. I think that a big misconception is that people delete, you know, status updates or what have you on Facebook and they just assume that it's deleted, which is not the case at all. Not at all. No. I mean, if you delete something on Facebook, it is stored um, in perpetuity. And it's just that you're hiding it from yourself. So when you click delete, you can't see it anymore. But Facebook ha holds onto that information. And you know who else has access to that? Ultimately, the government. So, so nothing on Facebook is is uh, deletable, you know, it's, it's, it's this permanent record. I think one of the interesting things that you said early on in the film is that if you were to sit down and read every terms and conditions document that you see in a given year, I think it was something like it would take one month of your time to read yeah, through all that. Yeah, one full month of work out every year or, uh, or 180 hours. You know, That's like insane. Hour. It's insane. You know, of course you can't expect people to read these agreements. And it costs us a fortune. I mean, outside of just these web agreements, you know, anytime we don't read that fine print, it, it costs consumers astronomical sums. And these things are designed to take from us, right? Like, it's, it's designed with the company's interest in mind, and, and there's nobody negotiating on behalf of the user. So obviously this, this, this system needs to change. You know, and, yeah. and, and also, I mean, what agreement would you ever say yes to where the other party can change the terms at any time, right? Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually one big thing. I remember when, I think it was like in 2009, when Facebook did that, and they just arbitrarily changed everyone's privacy settings. Like, yes. to me, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that you can, you can suddenly make everything on their profile visible to the world overnight. That is that. I mean that. <laughs> that's that's criminal. Really, is what it is. Um, you know, you you enter into this agreement under the assumption that you know that you're going to be protected, and that at least if you set your privacy settings in a certain way, that they will remain in that way. You should, that you're not going to have to constantly be checking. But the reality is, when we use Facebook or we use Gmail or Apple or Microsoft or any of these tech services. It really just comes down to trust. How much do you trust this company with your information? You know, who is able to see it behind the scenes? Because even if they say they don't share it with third parties, they still, anyone who works at that company can have access to that information. It can be accessible to hackers. And of course, 
the government, and they're not necessarily considered a third party, but if you look in most of these user agreements, it says right in there that they can share information with the government to prevent crimes from happening, which basically is, a, is an open-ended statement saying, yeah, the government has access to what you do here. So Yeah, and, that, and that's another interesting thing that, that you talk about in the film is the concept of pre-crime and how nowadays the government has the ability to try to find crimes that have not been committed yet and arrest people based on that. Right. I mean, it's, it's very much minority report. We're living in a, in a brave new world where we, we have this concept, yes, exactly, of, of trying to stop something before it happens. You know, and, and this, is, this is very problematic for quite a few reasons. A, a lot of what we do online um, can be taken out of context. You know, a search that you do can be taken completely out of context. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and B, you might change your mind. Like, say that it's not, a system's not even taking it out of context. You might say, hey, you know what? I don't want to go rob that store. Or, hey, you know what? I don't want to go murder that person. You know? Mm-hmm. But if, you, if we get into the game of stopping things before they happen, it doesn't actually give, it takes away free will. You know, right. it takes away our capacity to, to, to uh, stop something, uh, stop ourselves from doing something. But moreover, these systems are actually being used to stop um, far more problematic things. You know, get, these systems are being used to monitor you and me, you know, journalists, um, to see if they're talking to whistleblowers, um, see how they're reporting on the State of the Union. Um, and then also it, it's being used to monitor protesters and limit dissent. And that to me is a very frightening concept. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that really stuck with me was the fact that you do touch on it in the film that there's some people out there like myself who feel like we have nothing to hide. Like, I don't, I don't do anything nefarious on the Internet. So what's what's the problem with that? But then you kind of say, well, look, everything you do is being monitored, compiled, watched. And essentially, you know, there's these kind of dossiers that are being put together with your information and going back to what you were saying about like search terms and things like that. Yes, I'm a journalist. I write about things that, you know, may throw up red flags. Like uh, I was writing about the the film, how to make money selling drugs. So, you know, I'm like (laughs) doing search terms on how to make money selling drugs. And that kind of worries me. (laughs) There's something uh, it was recently revealed that the NSA has something like 340 words that are red flags. And if these words appear in whatever conversation you're having, it will, they'll red flag it and they'll store that information. And it's, it's shocking what's, in, you know, what's on this list. Exposure, for instance, is a word that's on this list. So you could be just talking about you know, wanting more exposure um, with, with, uh, for the film or wanting you know, the exposure of your, of your um, fo- photo. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, you know, or you could say, like, we don't want too much exposure when we're, we're trying to plot this attack. I just said three words that are certainly on their list. Right. Exactly. Plot an attack, I'm pretty sure. You know, we've been red flagged and I'm talking to you from international waters right now. So we're definitely being monitored. Yeah. And, and to me, that that is kind of disturbing, even though I, I think that I don't have anything to hide. And there, I think that there's a, that's kind of the rationale that a lot of people have where they're just like, well, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to hide. So if it, if it ends up these, these systems, if they end up foiling uh, 
terroristic plots or or something like that, then that's fine. I mean, how you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, have you seen? There's this Twitter feed, um, which is just it says like nothing to hide. It's the name of the of the user account, and basically what they've done is they've gone through and they found lots and lots of people who have said, you know, I don't care if you know, my boyfriend or the government can see all of my photos and everything about me. I have nothing to hide. And you just get this endless list, basically, of people who are saying somewhat absurd things about how they have nothing to hide. And if you go through it, you'll, you'll get a good laugh because they're, they're, just, they're just completely absurd. But it, it, it speaks to your point, which is that I think a lot of people have this notion. And that's one of the things I really try to address in the film is that we mm -hmm. all have something to hide. You know, you, you may just not know what you have to hide until it's too late. And so I, I show kind of a series of examples of, of in it, completely innocent people having their lives totally upended because mm -hmm. of these spy systems. You know, comedians, writers, a, a kid in junior high school, you know, and, and that to me is, 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 is quite frightening and alarming. And I think as we move into the future, though, and these systems become even more ubiquitous and even sort of better at, at storing information and scraping it, you know, it will, it will become possible for you know, these, these things to not only become more problematic in our lives, but also the potential for retrospective surveillance, you know, where you can actually go back in time. And, mm -hmm. and this is what Edward Snowden was talking about as, as being one of the main problems, this idea that you could find a target you know, who may not be doing anything wrong now, but you could look back, you know, roll back the clock, look back a year, look back three years, and find some way to make a criminal out of them. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is alarming because our culture shifts. You know, what is, what is a crime now may not be a crime five years from now and vice versa. Right. Um, yeah, but to speak to your point about, you know, are these systems stopping terrorist attacks? First off, I don't think that's the right question to be asking. I think we should be asking, are these systems limiting our you know, free speech, free press, and, and interrupting our constitutional you know, Fourth Amendment protections. I think that's, that needs to be the first question because that's, you know, that's sort of the foundation and then you have to move from there. Now, is it stopping terrorist attacks? I mean, you know, the General Alexander or whatever came out with um, you know, his list of 40 or 50 things that they, they allegedly stopped in some sort of meaningful way. But out of those, maybe two or three were sort of big incidents. But even if you look at what those incidents were, in almost all of those cases, they could have achieved that through traditional means, um, you know, where an email is being sent, for instance, to uh, somebody who was a target email that they know was a suspected terrorist, and then they were able to catch them that way. So mm -hmm. running this dragnet of all Americans' communications and the world's communications, uh, I don't think is necessarily the most effective way to, to stop terrorism. I think that they're just doing it because they can. And I think going back to what you did in the film, I particularly thought that it was interesting when you used the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was uh, Google search terms, how they compile like that sort of a digital fingerprint of sorts, and you were actually able to track down that uh, the writer of the show Cold Case based on his search terms. <laughs> and I think that, that that example just goes to show of how uh, things can be easily misconstrued. You know, somebody searching for dead bodies and decapitation and how to kill your wife, but it's a writer on a TV show. Right, yeah. And, and if, 
if you red flag those search terms, you end up, you end up, you know, FBI could just show up at his house saying, hey, um, so we per- we're pretty confident that you're going to kill your wife. We're just not sure exactly how yet. And, you know, then he'd have to say, hey, man, I'm just a writer on a TV show, but they're the messenger, you know, they're not the judge. So his life would be totally upended if, uh, if were that to happen. I mean, I know yeah. that uh, the like the prop master on Dexter, um, he's he's like on, he's certainly on the <laughs> FBI watch list. He knows that for a fact. So it's 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 fascinating, especially people in Hollywood. It's it's or or writers or people who are, are searching for completely benign reasons. I mean, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a matter. Again, it's a context issue. I mean, we shouldn't be judged based on the search term itself. And these systems are not good at understanding, you know, why we're looking. For these things they just assume that we must be up to no good right and i think that 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 just goes to show it's 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 a computer program essentially right i mean these these aren't actual people that are looking to at this and because if it was an actual person they'd be able to see that oh this is like a facebook post from a seventh grader or whatever that clearly is is not threatening in any way right i mean you would think at least at some point in the process before this send out a SWAT team that they would that there would be a human element that would check to make sure that this you know that, that it wasn't just a joke or a quote from Fight Club that it actually is a legitimate threat but for whatever reason in many cases the government just responds without without really having any any clear checks and you know that's that's one of those things that I show in the film is you have a comedian do a post on Facebook and within a couple hours SWAT's at his door mm-hmm. so Obviously, no. There was either there was no human element, or there was very poor human element in the mix in that instance. So now, what what do you? What's your best advice for someone who would like to kind of stay off the radar as much as possible? Because I think that another big misconception that you uh, expose in this film is the fact that even if you're not on social networks, you're still being monitored. What you're doing is still being watched. So, like, what would you be your best advice for somebody to try to stay off of these lists? I mean, you bring up a really good point because it's hard. What are you supposed to do when you're being tracked everywhere that you go? I mean, the only real way to avoid it would be to go in the middle of a field and build a cabin and just avoid right. all technology completely. So since that's not the case, um, I mean, there are tools out there that will at least limit the amount that you're tracked. And in some instances, you can block your IP. Um, some of those tools include Ghostry and Disconnect. Um, Firefox is a great browser, and you can turn cookies off in Firefox. Um, and DuckDuckGo will at least enable you to uh, do private searches. But again, if you use something like Tor, it was recently revealed that if you encrypt your information when you're sending it, if you use something like Tor, mm-hmm. the government assumes that you're up to no good. So they're going to store that encrypted data so that they can decrypt it later. So in many, I mean, so that's not really a, a, a bulletproof method either. Um, so, so I so think like, so to answer your question most directly, I would say I think you have to sort of think of everything that you do in a digital environment as being in public. You know, like right now, we, we may as well just say hello to the NSA because they're listening. Yeah, exactly. So the best thing to do is just be careful of the terms that you use and be careful of the things that you say. And I mean, I think that that... Um, is something that a lot of people don't really think about, especially when they do say something in a joking way, or if they're using like 
Snapchat to send like, <laughs> right. <laughs> a nude photo of themselves to their boyfriend or girlfriend. Like uh, the, the best thing to do is just stay away from that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it sucks because like, I mean, you sit back and you go, who really cares about a dick pic, right? And at the end of the day, you know, some guy at the NSA is just going to have to look at a picture of your dick. So that's not exactly <laughs> the most I- ideal thing for them either. Um, but staying away from, I mean, it, I guess you just have to sort of limit how much you do on these. But, but even that's hard. I mean, I don't think it's right to expect this of people in general. So I think of the film and what we're doing right now as a way of kind of building awareness. And this conversation will hopefully build some awareness. But in the long run, we need to have the overall mentality of the corporations and the government change. Because these systems are intrinsic and we shouldn't be forced to censor ourselves um, because there's a third party monitoring our conversations and our Snapchats, right? So yeah. ultimately, that's, that's what needs to happen. And, and that's what we're working on right now. We're, we're, we're kind of building a coalition um, in relationship to the film uh, to pressure corporations and the government to change these policies. Um, we're starting a website called trackoff.us, and that should be live starting July 7th. And that's going to be a place where we're really going to push these corporations to push the government for change, to say, you know what, we don't want to be watched. And storing all of this data is not okay. It's, it's undermining the trust uh, with these corporations, and of course it's undermining the trust with the government. But also we need to, I think, have a different mentality in relationship to these, these corporations, because as long as the data set is there, someone's going to access it. And it's going to be vulnerable. So we need to see a lot of change. I think these tools that I mentioned before are a good stopgap, but they're mm-hmm. not the answer. So right. yeah, that's. And I think th- there's other organizations out there, like the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation. I believe that they do a lot of good work with keeping the internet free and private and everything as well. Yeah, I mean EFF and ACLU are doing a lot of really important work in the, in the area and, and fighting. You know, doing a lot of the ground fights. Um, but I think in order to see some sort of massive change, there's going to need to be a larger coalition of, of really angry citizens uh, saying, you know, we're not cool with this and we want this to change. Representatives do something about it. Because I think there's been a mentality on Capitol Hill for a long time now that people just don't care about this stuff. And I think that everything that happened with Snowden recently showed that, no, people do really care about this stuff. They just didn't understand what was going on. I think that's why just the Verizon phone records themselves, when people could sit there and go, oh my God, this is actually happening to me. Those are my phone records, the people who I've talked to for the amount of time I've talked to them and the frequency I've talked to them. You know, people could really feel that. And even though that's not the most sort of devious thing that the NSA has been doing, it was really a good way to reveal that this is something that's happening to everybody. So um, sticking with the Snowden thing, and, and this is actually kind of uh, really topical of your film com- coming out right when this when all this stuff is happening. Uh, maybe you could just give us your thoughts or maybe tell uh, for, for the listeners that aren't really familiar with this, um, just sure. tell us about Edward Snowden and, and PRISM as well. Right. You know, so for, for those of you who don't know, I mean, Edward Snowden, uh, he actually didn't work directly for the NSA. He worked for a subcontractor hired by the NSA and you know, sitting in his office every day, seeing the kind of access he had to ordinary citizens' information, just unadulterated access, um, he realized it was highly problematic. And he started storing and collecting all of these documents that uh, were floated around um, the NSA and their subcontractors. Uh, he fled to Hong Kong, and when he got to Hong Kong, he met up with a couple of journalists there and leaked all of this information. 
you know, and now he's being considered by the United States a defector and uh, something they want to prosecute under uh, the Espionage Act, which is something that Obama, the Obama administration, has done more aggressively than all other presidencies combined. And, and that's, that's what we're sitting at now. And one of the key documents that Snowden leaked was uh, the PRISM document and what that showed, basically. And there's some debate about whether or not it's direct, but what it showed is that um, Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, AOL, Yahoo, Skype, and some company called Paltalk um, were all providing access uh, to the NSA. And if you look at the documents, it really does look like they were providing direct access. And so that means these dossiers that these companies are holding on you, um, the NSA can look at. I mean, you know, if you are a user on Facebook for more than three or four years, you're going to have a dossier that's longer than a thousand pages and that's easily keyword searchable. So if you think about the information that Apple has on you, you know, in your iPhone, things you have to Siri or Google has on you, or your most private intimate thoughts, I mean, these are things that any old agent like or any employee like Edward Snowden could have had access to. And he was very he was very open about that. And you don't just walk away from a two hundred thousand dollar a year job in Hawaii unless unless something you know, unless you really feel like this is something that needs to change. And and that's what he did. He came out as as an activist um, and as a citizen and said, you know what, it's this needs to be part of the public discourse. This shouldn't just be decided by a couple of people at the top and um, you know, and be going on secretly in the background. You know, so now Edward Snowden is kind of on the run. He, I think he's in Russia at the moment trying to figure out his next step. Yeah, I think and he it's, is. And it's, yeah, and it's become kind of a, a big political um, nightmare for, for the current administration in terms of how to deal with this. So, yeah, that's, and then that, that just happened a couple of weeks ago. And so mm-hmm. it's really nice, in fact, that that, that happened because it's, it's opened up the conversation in a lot of ways and, and raised more awareness surrounding these issues. So my hope is that the film will really uh, dovetail nicely with it, explain how we got here um, and show a lot more going on and a lot of the broader implications surrounding um, these surveillance technologies. Because even though he's able to leak all of this stuff and show this kind of access, what he wasn't able to do is show the harm. And that's what I think my film does is it shows the harm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, final question. Do you now read the terms and conditions? <laughs> you know, I, I uh, of course not. Uh, the reason that I don't read the terms and conditions is because, like I said before, they can change them at any time, and they pretty much all the say all say the same thing. They go, "We can share your information pretty much with whoever we want. We have, uh, you know, a degree of ownership over your information, and then we can share it with the government." So, uh, if if that's the case, then the terms and conditions aren't even that necessary to read. You just need to understand sort of what the general issues are surrounding terms and conditions, and that most of what you do online is in public. Yeah, I mean, basically, every site and service that you use should just say, by using this, we own you. That's totally that's yeah. what it should say. You know, uh, and here's I actually is one sort of final point I just want to mention. Mm-hmm. I think that what really needs to change is that we need to have access to our data. Right now, we don't even have access to what Facebook or Google store on us. It's mm-hmm. impossible to see the scale and scope of what they're, what they're saving. So if we could first have access to that data, that would be a step because it would help us at least understand you know the nature of the trade right and then i think the next step is going to be having control over that so ultimately and this is what we're going to be dealing with at trackoff.us 
is returning control of data to the user, saying, hey, you know what, my data is mine. My data is what makes up me, it makes up my thoughts, it makes up my personality, and I should have ownership over that, not some company. And if I want to have them delete that information or I want to take that information somewhere else because I don't trust them anymore, I can do that. So I think it's a two-step approach. I think we need access and then I think we need control. You know, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I think you know, if, 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 the, if the will of the people shifts, then it's, it's certainly possible. So. Yep, and I, and I think that raising awareness with with films like yours is a big step in that direction. I mean, the more people that are aware that this is happening and that this is going on, then the more uh, change can take place faster. I sure hope so. <laughs> so uh, let's do some quick plugging. The film. Yeah. Uh, is hitting theaters July 12th. Is that correct? July 12th. It's going to be opening at the Quad in New York. I think there's six screenings a day there, um, starting on the 12th in July, and then it opens uh, more widely starting on uh, the 19th. Um, that's when it opens up in L.A. and uh, a few other cities from there. So if you go to the website, tacma.net, you can see, in which is terms and conditions may apply. Mm-hmm. It's just the acronym, .net. Uh, you can see all of the screening times. And in fact, if it's not in your city, you can request a screening. And if we get enough people in that city to request the screening, then uh, we'll book a theater there as well. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Is that through like a, a service through, like Tug yeah, or something? Yeah, it's through Tug. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great service. So, and then what was the, uh, one more time for the, the other website that you're going to be launching? Great. Yeah. So tacma.net is the film's website. And then the other website is trackoff.us. Uh, so just trackoff.us. Sort of like back off. Mm-hmm. Us. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's where we'll be launching that. And that's where petitions and, and the activism will really, uh, will really occur. So. Okay. Great. Cullen, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Yeah, Adam, thank you. Thanks again, Cullen. Again, the film's terms and conditions may apply. If it's playing in your area, check it out. If not, you can demand a screening via Tug tug.com t-u-g-g all right let's uh jump into some of what we've been watching kevin you started off this week oh i did not have a good week mostly because a lot of the various platforms that i watch movies on none of them seem to work this week Hmm. and i i've just been living day to day by day in just absolute frustration and anger I've tried to watch movies on like four separate occasions and the shit would not work. Either Hulu Plus, Netflix, DVDs, the internet, everything. It seemed like everything was trying to keep me from watching films this mm. week. It's bullshit. So I only got to see three. And first of which was No, which came out earlier this year. And I was really excited about, you know, Gil Garcia Bernal. And... You know, the Chilean film mm-hmm. about getting Pinochet out of there. And I, I I, wanted so badly to like this film, but I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I thought I would love it, but I didn't. It was such a huge letdown. Number one, it's entirely too long. It's pretty much two hours long. Um, now, the greatest point of this whole film is they use a lot of the archival footage of the actual advertising campaigns that they used during this time right and they get the movie to match that footage so uh, the the director got an old umatic camera out fixed it up and that's what they used to shoot the film so it's all on video and it looks amazing but a lot of the film is just the actors 
watching the archival footage and then just responding. And by, by responding, I mean just being dead silent, looking around like they're in thought. And that's like 40 to 50 minutes of the film is that. And then another like 30 minutes of it is Gil Garcia Bernal just sitting around. That's all he's doing. He's just playing with his son's train. Just in <laughs> turmoil, I guess, is what he's supposed to be doing. And it's just so unbelievably boring. Hmm. I think this would have worked a lot better. Since they relied so heavily on the archival footage, I think it would have just worked better as a documentary. You can check out uh, Gina's review on the site for this. She gave an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to disagree. Where would you sit? I'm sitting like a 6. Okay. I mean, all all the acting's great, and the look of it is like spot on. It's perfect the way that they match it. But everything that happens is just, it's so unbelievably boring. It, it doesn't, it's not engrossing in, in any, any way whatsoever. I don't know if it was just me, if I didn't connect with it, but I'd be interested to see what you think of this. Cause it's just, it's, it's a rough go. I've been meaning to watch it. I'll probably wait. Cause I don't think it's on Netflix instant yet. Is it? No, no, it's not. Yeah. I'll probably wait for it to pop up on there. Which it probably will since I got the DVD in the mail. That always seems to happen. I'll get the DVD, I'll watch it, I send it back, and then it goes to play and stuff. <laughs> just, just like the fuck with me. I think they do it. Uh, then I followed it up with Days of Heaven. Did some uh, Terrence Malick. Doing some Terrence Malick watching. And Terrence Malick is a bit ridiculous. I'm starting to see... <laughs> uh, I mean, I've seen three of his films. Technically, I would say two. I really don't remember much from The Thin Red Line, so I don't know if I can really count that anymore. But there's so many people that say that, you know, he does this, you know, he structures his films like poems and all that. You know, how he does, like, just a little short clip and then cameras on wheat fields or nature or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then cameras on some type of wildlife and then cut to just random couple words exchanged between two people or like a glance or whatever and to me i just see a guy trying to mask the fact that he can't fucking write anything like he can't write dialogue he can't write a story he can't develop anything outside of beautiful visuals that's it as i also read several places he also incorporates the which he uses in almost all of his films the, the the whole narration thing the voiceover narration Right, and this one it comes from the, the the little girl that's in the film. She does the voiceover. Now I've read numerous places that that girl completely improved all of the narration. She just mm. came up with it on the spot. So if that's true, bravo, bravo to her. And then the second point is, holy shit, he can't write anything because he didn't even re- write the fucking narration, which is the only thing that's in this film. But again, true Malik. It's amazing to look at. For 1978, I mean, it's just unbelievably beautiful. And there's some great scenes where he just uses absolute silence, which is, you don't really see that too much in films anymore, which was very powerful. But, I mean, luckily I don't really care about story, but I just, I think that it's because he can't do it. So he just uses this structure, and a good number of people fall in love with it. I don't disagree with you, but I think that there's going to be a lot of Malik fanboys that 
I've seen four of his films. I saw Tree of Life, Thin Red Line, Badlands, and To the Wonder, and I loved Thin Red Line and Badlands. See, Badlands is the next one I want to watch. And I it, think that that was his best. But then again, I haven't seen Days of Heaven, so. Yeah, I would I would be curious to see what you think of Days of Heaven. I Maybe I'll think uh, of, watch it this week. Think of numerous Andrew Wyeth paintings, and that's what this film is. I'm going to check that out. Beautiful to look at. Unbelievable. Um, and then I would today I watched Stalker. I have been meaning to watch this. I even started it um, just a couple weeks ago, actually. But I didn't. I like. I think I was like in the middle of working, and I couldn't give it my full attention, so I stopped it. This I is just haven't picked it up. Hey, this is a film that you have to give full undivided attention. To. Yeah, exactly. Like, I realized that. <laughs> Yeah. Very early on, I realized that, so I had to stop it. You cannot fuck around at all. You undivided attention, 163 minutes. Uh, this is like the epitome for me of the type of sci-fi that I love. In all honesty, there's really no sci-fi in this film whatsoever. There's no like special effects. There's no crazy out there type stuff. The only thing is, is that you know. There's a guide, his name's Stalker, and he leads two men to an area known as the Zone, where they find a room where, like, all your wishes come true. But it's more of, I mean, the entire film is them trying to get to that room. So it's essentially just three guys walking through the wilderness trying to get to this place. And it's very, very, very philosophical the way they start getting into the whole number of things and it's one of those types of movies that you can read into it so many different ways that it's almost impossible for me to really talk about it right now i mean number one it's amazing to look at it's unbelievably beautiful and the way that it's completely structured all the active performances are just top notch but it's so complex and it's really like thought provoking that it's really difficult to form an opinion of it or what you think about it or you know an interpretation of it after like i watched it i finished it like an hour ago and i'm still not sure what to think about it and i have a feeling i'm probably going to think about stalker for like the next week until i have it figured out but this yeah is, this I'm is definitely to... one of the best sci-fi films i've ever seen which yeah i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to watch this so that's i've seen two tarkovsky's now this and solaris which were both sci-fis and they're both like two of the greatest sci-fi films I've ever seen. So, Tarkovsky, two for two. Malik, not so much. There you go. There you, there you have it. That's it. That's all, all I got right. done. Uh, I saw I saw a good bit of stuff this week. Some great, some not so much. Uh, I started off with Before Midnight, the new Richard Linkletter. Ooh. Uh, and I know that you're. You don't. You could care less about this, but it, it was actually playing in a theater in my area, which really surprised me. In fact, I as soon as we were done recording last week, just on a whim, I looked up showtimes, and there it was, and I was like, yes. Uh, but this is might be a ten out of ten for me. Ooh, it's it's not right now, but I, it, now, now I gotta watch it. You can't tell me it's a ten out of ten, and I'm just gonna blow it off it's it's not there yet for me but like it's one of these movies where 
when when I came out of the theater, I was like, oh man, that was amazing. But then like several days, weeks later, it, it's almost been a week now that I've been removed from it, and it's just it's just sticking with me. Like I'm just thinking about it a lot, and it's it's exactly like the other two. Um, I think that it's better than than before sunrise and before sunset. Um, mostly because the characters have evolved, you know, they're older. So it's, you see, that's one of the reasons that I sort of want to finish the trilogy. Cause that's the main reason I hated the first one so much. It's because I thought it was so just ridiculous. It's and immature it's a lot and juvenile and just fucking dumb. But I would like to see if he does evolve, they get, like they grow up and become smarter. It's, it's so interesting because it's it's the type of movie where when you take it at face value and you just listen to the conversations and you're like, oh, that was pretty good. But then when you start thinking about the conversations that they had in the previous films and just the small things like like, for instance, they'll they'll be telling stories in this in this movie that refer back to. Uh, conversations and events that took place in the earlier ones, mm. but they get some of the facts wrong and they f- they forget how it how it was because they're eighteen years removed from it. You know, yeah. like so that's to add that in there is really interesting. And then also the just how the characters change and how the way that they feel about certain things is different and. It just it feels so real and so natural that I I find it completely amazing that they were able to do this because when you watch it it doesn't feel scripted it feels like natural conversation and from what I read I think that it was pretty heavily scripted hmm. but everything just feels so natural and real and I absolutely loved it it takes place in Greece and there's more conversations with other characters in this too like the other two it was mainly just ethan hawk and julie delpy Mm -hmm. in this one they have some more conversations with friends and then there's kids involved in this one as well okay so but essentially it is the same structure as the other ones where it's just conversations yeah and but i'll tell you it is it was so good I, i just loved it Loved. All right, I'm gonna have to watch it now. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I think that 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 was uh, I think that was Ernie's top top pick of the year so far. Wow. And it's it's inching its way up on mine too. So, uh, then I saw Gasland Part Two. This is currently on playing on HBO Go, so you can check it out there if you didn't see it when it aired on Monday. Uh, this is the essentially just kind of picking up where the first one left off it's a documentary about natural gas drilling or fracking uh very interesting it'll definitely make you angry mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is what it's supposed to do um the way that he puts together the movie i like it that his use of music the he, he has these really kind of interesting title cards that break up break up the film into like stories or segments uh, he, he injects a lot of humor in it too, which kind of lightens it up a bit. If you don't know about the whole fracking thing and natural gas and what it's doing to the environment, I highly recommend checking this one out. You can 
watch this one without seeing the first one because this one just kind of recaps everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's sort of like the Paradise Lost trilogy where you can just pick it up. You don't need to see the previous ones, but I definitely recommend that. It's directed by Josh Fox. A lot of it takes place in Pennsylvania. Yes, so. this is actually something like I I saw the first Gasland and I enjoyed it, <clears throat> but being where I live, I have to hear about this shit like constantly every day through, you know, listening to the radio and stuff that I'm not so much interested in Gasland Part 2. And it's not the movie's fault. It's just I'm bombarded with it yeah, all the time. So I'm like, I I can't hear any more about fracking and natural gas and Marcella Shale and all that stuff. It's pretty messed up, though. I mean, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, it's it's definitely something that should not be happening. But uh, so so I do recommend that it was really good. Uh, Coffee Town was my next film. This is a comedy that's playing on demand right now. It's actually created by the the guys behind College Humor, that the website College Humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to like this movie. It there were certain parts of it that were genuinely funny, and it has a great cast. I mean, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny, Steve Little from Eastbound and Down, Ben Schwartz uh, from Parks and Rec. Josh Groban yeah, is in it. I mean, the first three right there, I'm in. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably worth checking out. It's not... Unfortunately, it's just not a very well-made movie. They, they use a lot of things that are completely unnecessary. There's a lot of narration by Glenn Howerton, mm. which is not very good. They use animation in it, which... That's always a bad idea. Yeah. Because it's like, what's like, why? Why is this happening? There's no point to adding it. Um, there is a scene involving they they make a reference to the movie Rad, which we had Ryan watch, and they recreate the 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 bike dance scene from Rad. Uh, do they go balls out in the lumberyard? No, it's just the <sighs> dance scene. But they do play the "Send Me an Angel" song, <laughs> which that that scene was great. Uh, and, uh, I was hoping they would do like the dance at like a Heckinger's. <laughs> no, not uh. there. Uh, there. There's also a scene. So basically, the premise is Glenn Howerton, his office, quote unquote, is a coffee shop. He manages a website, and rather than working from his home, he prefers to work in this coffee shop. And it kind of gets into just kind of the the whole coffee shop culture. Which I, I find to be really funny in and of itself. And his he has two buddies that come hang out with him. One of one of them who's Ben Schwartz, he's a cop, but he's like the most crooked, awful cop there is. <laughs> uh so they find out that the coffee shop is being turned into a bistro. And the one of the ways that they can get them to stop this is by proving that it's in a bad area of town. So they decide to stage a robbery of, of this, uh, which is odd. Cause this even sounds like that. The one episode of it's always sunny. Yeah. Where they had, they were trying to sell the bar and they had to, they ended up buying another property and they tried to show that that was a bad area. And yeah. So it's, so what they do is they, they try to sneak in and, they don't want to steal anything. They just want to kind of mess mess everything up to make it look like there was a break-in. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the funny things, just a little kind of throwaway thing, when they were getting their equipment, they could only find Spider-Man walkie-talkies <laughs> to communicate. And it's the walkie-talkies changed their voice. <laughs> so <laughs> so in, when Ben Schwartz is communicating with them, he sounds like the Green Goblin. <laughs> And I just, for some reason, found that to be really funny. Uh, yes. And uh, Josh Groban is actually really funny in it too. He's like the like the head barista. Mm-hmm. He's very funny, but there is a lot of stupid shit in it, though. Oh, I can imagine. And it tries to get sentimental at certain points, and it's just so you know. I would say like a two and a half mm-hmm. out of five. Mm. Five out of ten. Uh, then I saw Blackfish, which is the upcoming documentary about killer whales. I really enjoyed this movie. Well, I guess saying enjoyed it is not the correct term. I thought that it was a a very well-made film. Very, I mean, if you're an animal lover, this is a rough movie to get through. It's sort of like, reminds me of The Cove, I guess. And basically it's about how we treat killer whales in captivity and the fact that they should quite frankly not be in captivity it just doesn't work and it focuses on sea world and how horrible sea world is basically mm-hmm. oh, yeah. but i very, see, very... I see him jump adam <laughs> very jump and eat fish like them to do tricks i deserve that i'm entitled to that okay yeah, I mean, like, it's pretty crazy. Like, SeaWorld, they, they would, like, cover up injuries. They would cover up people getting killed. I mean, it's it's nuts. Like, that uh, just a few years ago, I, I think maybe one of the main reasons that this film was made is uh, that I can't remember her name, but she was the trainer <clears throat> at SeaWorld who got killed just a couple years ago. I think mm. it was, like, back in... 2010 or something and they said that the the orca saw her ponytail and thought that it was a fish and grabbed it and pulled her under Mm -hmm. but you can see in the video that it is clearly attacking her like it doesn't bite her ponytail it bites her arm Mm. and drags her in and what they do is they kind of they say okay what makes this killer whale attack because there have been zero occurrences of killer whale attacks in the wild. They're mm-hmm. very docile creatures. They're very smart. And they look at what could have made this killer whale, his name was Tilikum, attack. Uh, probably keeping him in prison. Yes. Essentially. I would imagine. Um, essentially. That's what it was. Yeah. So Creatures don't like that normally. Very well made. There, there are several scenes where they reenact uh, like court court hearings and things like that and the way that they do it they use animation but it's kind of like drawing on like uh it's like 2d drawing on a yellow legal pad and -hmm. how they do it it looks really cool so there's there's a lot of cool like style stylistic things that they use in the film and uh, i highly recommend it it's going to be hitting theaters next friday july 19th now one of my favorite things is when like a bear or something kills a human in the wild and they have to put down the bear. That's all. That's, well, that, uh, that always makes me laugh. That actually doesn't happen with this because they're too they're too valuable. It's just it's I just love that whole mentality. 
like, yeah. oh shit, we were in his habitat and he killed one of us. We got to teach him a lesson. That's see with SeaWorld, it's actually the opposite. When when the killer whale attacks, they blame the trainer. Mm. Even though it, a lot of times the trainer had nothing to do with the attack, it was completely unprovoked. They it's always the trainer's fault because these orcas are worth so much money oh, yeah. that there's no way that they don't you know they don't want to have to put any of them down. Plus, trainers are easily replaceable. Right. <laughs> Essentially, orcas. You can't just replace. You can't just go out and get another one. Uh, that was that was one of the more heart like gut wrenching moments. They showed a lot of footage of them rounding up some of the babies to yeah. to put in SeaWorld and stuff. Horrible, just horrible. Uh, then I saw a movie called Reform School Girls. This was for my Grindhouse Weekly um, article. I wanted to watch uh, a women in prison film because I've been. I've been uh, cranking out Orange is the New Black on Netflix. <laughs> uh, this it came out in 1986. It's not very good. Um, it's pretty. It's kind of supposed to be a satire on women in prison films, but it's not very funny, and it's just not very good. It's pretty mediocre, mm-hmm. pretty dull. I, I have the full article up on the site if you want to read more about that. Pawn Shop Chronicles was my next one. This was horrendous. This sounds just stupid. This sounds so dumb. It is. Uh, I also have a review for this up on the site, playing on demand right now. It is horrible. It's essentially a Pulp Fiction ripoff. There's three segments that are all kind of interwoven with each other, and it, it has a big cast. I mean, we've got Paul Walker, Elijah Wood, Norman Reedus, Brendan Fraser. Vincent D'Onofrio, Thomas Jane, Matt Dillon, DJ Qualls, Lucas Haas. Well, that's a, that's a red flag right there. Brandon Lucas Fraser. Haas? No, Brandon Fraser. Oh, he plays an Bert. Elvis impersonator. Okay. An a down on his luck, Elvis impersonator. Aren't they all down on their luck? I think so. Yes, I think so. This, is, this sounds like this is this year's uh, Baytown Outlaws. Well, Baytown Outlaws came out this year, so this oh. is... <laughs> <laughs> This has this has trumped. It's worse than Baytown Outlaws. Wow. So this is probably the guy that did the cooler, though. Yeah, but he also what but look look at what else he. Well, did. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. I'm seeing that now. I just saw the cooler, and now I'm seeing everything else. Yeah, it's all that, it's like, all in context mind, now. Mind hunters or whatever. I actually liked Running Scared with uh, Paul Walker, but Paul Walker plays a meth head in this, and it really bothers me because. Everybody in this movie is a caricature. They are so cartoonish and act so ridiculous. And Paul Walker's a meth head, so all he does is grind his teeth and scratch his beard, like, nonstop. And it bothered me so much. Uh, (laughs) I just can't. I can't recommend it. It's ridiculous. Read my review. You'll see what I thought. Uh, finally, I saw a, a horror movie called Jug Jugface. I was interested. Jughead. <laughs> I'm interested in that. Uh, this this is was very interesting, actually. It's directed by a guy named Chad Crawford Kinkle. And this is his first feature film, and it's it's a low budget, slow, definitely slow burn horror movie. That it, it it's about this 
kind of backwoods mountain community that they worship a pit and the pit will periodically possess someone in their in their community and have that person create a moonshine jug out of clay and that that jug will be in the form of someone's face okay so jug that, face that's where jug face comes yeah. from yeah and that person will have to be sacrificed to the pit. Okay. And to, to do that, they essentially slit your throat and you bleed Everyone. into the pit. Into the pit. And the... So you, you feed the pit your blood. Yeah. Okay. And basically, there's a girl. She hangs out at the pit a lot. Uh, she, she's played by Lauren Ashley Carter. She discovers that there is a jug face for her but while the guy is still in the trance she steals the jug face and hides it in the woods so that they don't kill her mm-hmm. uh, because she she recently finds out that she's pregnant with her brother's baby okay okay <laughs> and obviously the pit does not like this and starts killing people in the community I was surprised at how good this was. This was incredibly intriguing. One of the things that I really liked about it was that there was no bullshit voiceover exposition like telling you what the pit is and all that stuff. Like, there's none of that. They just (laughs) throw you in and you figure out how it works as the movie progresses. Nice. No hand-holding, no, like... I like that. Wait, they they don't take you for an idiot. Like, yeah, like yeah, you can figure this out. In a lot of movies like this, you know, there will be like this little, this little like, um, like preface or yeah, this little um, it's insulting. You know, this little section. I for some reason I'm drawing a blank on the word, but there's usually a section at the beginning of the film where they, you know, show ancient text pictures and like describe what the pit is and whatever. Like they don't do any of that shit in this. It's just. Really good. Uh, Sean Young's in it. Too. I was just gonna say, Sean Young is in it. Is this is this a comeback? No. Are we thinking comeback? Out of all the performances, oh. hers was the worst. Oh. Yeah, I mean the acting isn't great. It is a decidedly low budget film, so there is there is some CG in it that's not very good, but it's it's nothing like that that would Sinner. pull you out of it. Okay. Because see, that always gets me worried when you're, it's when, not you're like, low, uh, when you're low budget. I mean. Use your creativity. There's no need for CGI. It's only... They only use it in this one character. He's kind of like a ghost sort of thing that that comes up. And they use it for him. But the way that they did it, like... He's kind of like this apparition that has, like, smoke all around him. Mm, So, like, they they kind of had to to get that effect. They would have to use CG. But it's not like uh, Holy Ghost People where they use CG for rocks everything <laughs> for rocks yeah like Getting it's not hit with the rocks let's use cg for that it's not like that at all i mean a lot of it's practical but so yeah i definitely recommend jug face uh review for that is up on the site as well jug face nice okay all right let's talk about pacific rim ernie thanks again for coming on the show this film is directed by guillermo del toro stars Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, Rinko uh, Kikuchi, Charlie uh, Day, 
is also in it. Am I missing anybody? Um, uh, Ron Perlman. Drawn, dr- yes, Ron Perlman. I was like drawing a complete blank. Uh, we do have a synopsis here. As a war between mankind and monstrous sea creatures wages on, a former pilot and a trainee are paired up to drive a seemingly obsolete special weapon in a desperate effort to save the world from the apocalypse. Ernie, what did you think of Pacific Rim? It did not disappoint. Um, The first time I heard of Pacific Rim was after Del Toro left The Hobbit uh, because of the delays of production. And everybody was obviously curious to see what he was going to do. And then I think it was last year... At Comic-Con, they started showing footage of what they were going to do. I'm like, this looks really cool. And then the first trailer came out. I'm like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. So it definitely did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember they were they started with that like viral marketing where they were releasing like little videos of the kaiju and that type of I, stuff. Believe it or not, I haven't I seen remember- anything. That's <laughs> out of the trailer. That's all I knew. I didn't see any marketing yeah, they- or anything. Yeah, they did some really cool viral marketing stuff before the trailer, the, the first trailer came out. I wrote a review for the site, and I, I also liked it quite a bit. I think that I think that maybe Iron Man 3 is still my favorite movie of this summer so mm-hmm. far, but this is up there. This is a, a pretty close second. I think that even though it kind of follows your typical blockbuster summer movie tropes that it's still fun enough to really just enjoy the awesomeness of it all. I think that the, there are some plot issues and there was, there was one thing specifically that I wanted to talk about, but we'll save that for spoilers. But I think overall it's just, just a fun movie. I mean, the action is out of control. It, I mean, it. the visuals alone are worth seeing this in the theater. Uh, especially if you see the IMAX 3D version. Or I don't know if they if it's available in 2D and IMAX, but it is actually full-frame IMAX. So it's huge, loud, and in-your-face. So that's definitely the ideal way to yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually saw it at the IMAX as well. So... I, I was pretty blown away by the visuals. One thing that I really liked a lot was not not just how everything looked on the outside. Like I thought that the kaiju were pretty ordinary looking. I wasn't really that impressed with the look of them. But it was all the Jaegers, all the different types of Jaegers. I was really into mm-hmm. that. And specifically, I liked all the interior scenes with when it they showed them controlling them from the inside like i thought that all that stuff looked really good like all of the the controls and how it worked i thought that it looked really detailed i liked how everything kind of looked worn you mm-hmm. know like there were like scratches and the paint was worn off on on the components and things and it just it looked very real it looked like this is something that could they could actually make. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was uh, uh, seeing a lot of um, manga and anime dealing with mechs and giant robots. I was like, kind of like I'm kind of the opposite. I was more interested in the kaiju's than the machines because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that so many times. And it's like, of course, it's kind of transformer esque, but um, obviously better than transformers. You no, know, better than the entire transformers series. 
Um, but the monsters I loved, mm -hmm. outside of the stereotypical blue-eyed look to them on the face, but just the monsters that they didn't go for the Godzilla look. It felt like a Godzilla movie to me. And different monsters, except they're not going up against Godzilla. And um, mm -hmm. I just loved how the monsters were were different in their modes of attack and their strategies. Right. And uh, yes. give them the, like the idea that these guys are thinking. These aren't just your generic monsters like go oh, stomping around and just beating things. They're they're cognizant. They know what they're doing and they know how to attack their enemies. I'm like, oh, that was cool. And um, right, like they there's there's scenes where when they add more of more of them in, like they're they they flank some of the Jaegers. There's different. It's like they learn. Mm -hmm. It's like they learn what makes these robots function and they try to exploit you know the vulnerabilities of that and i thought that that, that was great i i think my favorite one was the flying one i thought that that oh yeah yeah was, that was a surprise and that was really awesome and how that one capped off is just like uh, i was like oh that is sweet <laughs> yeah yeah for, i mean for a geek and, that was awesome and just yeah and the other thing i like I guess that that good, that's a good point that you make. Like this is really catering towards people like us, like essentially giant nerds that love comic books and um, like Japanese monster movies and video games. Like you could just tell where all the influences were coming yeah. from. And even when like the beginning, towards the beginning of the film, when uh, Charlie Hunnam's character first goes to the f facility and Idris Elba is giving him the tour and he's like seeing the different groups, the different pilots and stuff mm -hmm. like all of that felt so it felt so typical of like a big popcorn yeah. movie. But at the same time, it was just so, so much fun. And I like I liked how each Jaeger had its own like specific style. Like there was the the three uh the three japanese pilots and then the two russian pilots right. and they had different fighting styles and yeah. stuff and i thought all that was great it was kind of like unfortunately like i think that i wish we would have been able to see more of them mm -hmm. but that's kind of my only little nitpick about that is just i wanted more of of that yeah i guess how many was i think there was what four at the start or was there five yeah, yeah i think there was, yeah, I think there was four. I remember at Comic-Con, he was talking about how they had a publicity shot of a foot. <laughs> and the foot set took up an entire stage. This was like one of the biggest stages, and it was just the foot. <laughs> like, I'm like yeah, really? Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> it was like the practical effect is the foot. Everything else is CGI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really got a, a sense of scale with these things. Like, it was... I mean, everything was so huge, and I, I loved all the... And, and see, it's not really... It wasn't really wall-to-wall -wall action, yeah. which I appreciated. I liked the whole uh, Charlie Day, the that whole kind of subplot where he was trying to learn... Uh, him and um, Burn Gorman mm -hmm. were trying to figure out, you know, what how these creatures work and yeah. how to stop them for good. I liked that whole subplot. I thought that was great. Yeah, there's uh, one and, subplot that relates to that that I guess we'll cover in the spoiler section. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was entertaining. And yeah, I, th I thought that it was just it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you can't go into a movie like this expecting you know something 
amazing. Yeah, it's like one of those where you but, check your brain at the door. I know we say that a lot, and there are some movies I can't even think of what I've seen this somewhere where you're supposed to check your brain at the door, and basically just it basically just doesn't deliver anything except stupid entertainment. That's like yeah, I've been there, done that. But this one can be kind of like that. But at least the stuff when you just want to see monsters and robots fight, the uh, the human stuff is at least interesting because as it relates to the world that you just like well i want to learn more about this place and uh and the characters right. and uh, i mean the idris album was yeah like, i thought was that... like, all right but kind of knew where that was going but whatever <laughs> yeah i mean a lot of this a lot of the plot is pretty predictable and a lot of what they they seem to be setting up this world in this movie which seems to be happening a lot nowadays where you don't watch a movie just as a movie. You watch it as like part of this franchise. And that to me that kind of gets old after a while because you never really feel like you're watching a a complete product. Mm-hmm. Like it's all just part of something bigger. Right. And I know that with Pacific Rim there's at least one probably two sequels in the works. And then there's a comic book series that's that's expanding the universe. And then there's a video game that they're coming mm-hmm. out with. So it's yeah. like, you know, the, this this is all just... I guess this is kind of just the foundation of this whole Kaiju Jaeger yeah. universe. Well, hopefully it happens. I mean, it's only doing so-so at the box office. but that Yeah, yeah that's actually kind of a surprise to me that it's not doing... They, it's not doing as bad as they initially yeah. thought it was going to, but it's still still not that great. Yeah. I think domestically it's like less than fifteen million as of um, forty, yeah, or forty five or something like that. I think it's forty. It's I think it's because the crowds that it was going for actually went to see Grown Ups too. Go figure. But um, yeah, Grown Ups mm-hmm. too for some reason killed it mm-hmm. at the box office, despite the seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> And it looks, uh, just looks so bad. Uh, but also Clifton Collins Jr. Collins Jr.'s. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. plays a pretty, he plays a pretty cool, pretty cool guy. Uh, one of the, one of the, I guess another nitpick that I have with this movie is that all the fights take place either at night or at the bottom of the ocean mm-hmm. on the ocean floor. And I, I wish that there was at least one fight that took place during the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they took that shortcut because it was cheaper to make. But um, but at least the one in, under the water, you didn't have anything obstructing it like rain. I like, <laughs> but like in the first fight, I think is just a full out fight in the rain. No, in the ocean during a storm. Mm-hmm. And it was like it was kind of yeah. hard to make out what the hell was going on, especially when you're seeing it in IMAX. But uh, right, exactly. And but I did like. I did like those those scenes uh, in the rain because it looked yeah, amazing. It, it definitely I mean, it gave depth to so 3D good. with the rain, uh, especially it's really added yeah. to the depth of it. So. And there were a few things that happened in the underwater scene that I thought were really cool too, especially there's, there's a scene, I don't think it's like a big spoiler, but there's a scene where a bomb goes off yeah. and essentially the water uh, is, is gone and comes back i thought that that was a really cool effect how they do that like the yeah the, the blast like came back. T- yeah. yeah i think that, that that was a really cool effect but uh any anything else you want to add before we get into some spoilers because there's 
a few things that I want to talk about that that are spoilers. Uh, but the only non-spoiler thing that for nitpick for me is that I wish they really exploited the whole drifting thing. I mean, they established in the beginning how drifting works and that you can get lost in memories, but it would have been even just as like a little throwaway or like a side thing where they were talking about stuff that you like, there's stuff that you don't share with anybody in your subconscious. And, and if you're connected and you're working at the same mm-hmm. minds, people are going to see that shit. <laughs> but they, they, yeah, they never that, and, went after that. What have been kind of funny to hear about. It's like, Oh yeah. What about that time in your room? Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's actually, th- that brings up two points. The first, the first one being the whole concept of the drifting, and so basically, in order to have two pilots in one robot and have them synchronize their the moves, they use this process that essentially melt does like a mind meld where it combines the left and right hemisphere of each person, and that for some reason I found that to be more unbelievable and problematic than the concept of the Jaegers themselves. (laughs) Like I just, for some reason I was not buying into that. I didn't particularly like the effect, the effect that they used for that. I just, that I didn't like too much. Hmm. So you have more problem with the drift than you have 200 foot monsters roaming around the earth. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I did. I, I did. And, and that actually leads to one, the the question that I had for you that I'll that I'll save during spoilers. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that there is a lot of comedy in this movie, or not a lot, but they do they do put it in, especially with the Charlie Day uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually liked the comedy quite a bit. I thought it was pretty effective. Yeah, it was smartly done. And the, it wasn't comic relief because there he was essentially like laying out the plot. <laughs> Yeah, in a, com- in a comedic way. <laughs> no. Yeah, I th- but I thought uh, I thought all that stuff was was pretty good. And the uh, the scene when the the giant fist goes into the office building and hits the little <laughs> the little uh, the, uh, the ball thingy ball things. Yeah, I thought that was pretty. That was, that was pretty funny. Kind of like an Avengers moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did feel like that. Uh, okay, let's let's talk about some spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen the film yet, go ahead and fast forward here. We'll have the time code in the show notes. One of the things that I don't really understand is, okay, so there's this concept of drifting. And the Charlie Day's character decides that he wants to connect with the brain of a kaiju and go in. And he does, and he finds out some information, mm-hmm. right? And then they send him to this black market kaiju organ dealer who's played by Ron Perlman. And Ron Perlman says, okay, when you drift, it's a, it's a two-way street. You can, you can see their thoughts. They can see your thoughts or memories, right? right. right? And, that's, and essentially, that's how, for somehow the kaiju found out where he was because of this mm-hmm. and that's what i didn't understand because if the kaiju's dead how do the other ones know that they did this um i think which one was it, it was the the one that he first drifted with the one that was in the lab 
was still partially alive. Yeah, so he drifted. So he, he, so drifted, he drifted with, that with the one. one in the lab. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I guess that gave the, I guess because they're collective high, that even a partial brain can still make a connection. So I'm guessing. That's what I was, I guess. But that I found that to be, I was like, well, I don't really understand if the kaiju's dead, how it can somehow communicate back to the other ones, like through this portal into their world. Mm. Just, it seemed like a, a stretch for that to. Yeah, know, well, that actually ties that ties into uh, the whole Ron Perlman thing where he says, it's like, it's like, hey, you're not the only one who did it. And then he shows he's got the scars too. And uh, it didn't dawn mm-hmm. it didn't dawn on me until well after I saw the movie because I guess because in the beginning of the film they're like laying out as like oh yeah all these monsters attacked and we we lost we didn't know what to do so we made monsters of our with our of our own and we struck back and we beat them and then another one came and then another one came and then gradually everyone it got so like passe that oh they're going up against another monster it's like these guys become superheroes and whatnot and then and then mentioned then something changed. But you don't know what, and then it didn't. I didn't. It didn't click with me until well after I saw it. Oh wait, Ron Perlman was the why things changed when he made that. He made yeah, that when he made that first connection. Then they they made new stuff, and that's how they were able to come back and just like start winning on their side. And then he connected, and then they got even worse. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But it's still, I guess they still haven't really established how that connection is still there, even though they're dead. <laughs> yeah, even though they're dead and. Apparently the the brain that he used was wasn't even like a f- a full. It was just a partial yeah part of a brain. wasn't even like a full brain. A sub brain. So who knows what? I wonder if the yeah. brain the brain brain looks like the the bug brain from Starship Troopers or something. <laughs> I also I did like going with that. I liked that whole scene where they found out where they were harvesting. The, the one that had fallen and they found out uh, that it was pregnant. Yeah. I thought that that was, I, I love, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I love that where they're just like taking parts and they're walking off with these giant parasites <laughs> and they're just like, yeah. well, I guess no big deal. Here's another one. It's like, nah. Nah, that was- I was really glad that they, they added all that stuff in because like thinking back, if it was, if they didn't add the extra stuff in like in the city mm-hmm. and all that stuff, it would just be, them the, the giant robots fighting and then the scenes on the base and that's all there would be yeah. i think that when they added added in the stuff in the city with charlie day and ron perlman and all that stuff i think that that added a lot to the movie mm-hmm. it would have been just like a old school godzilla movie where it's godzilla versus monsters on a remote island that's <laughs> right it's like okay there they go at least it gives you gives some weight to the uh the drama of it all is mass destruction occurs kind of like on the scale of man of steel except i they, yeah. i'm pretty sure they actually do recognize that they probably just kill thousands of people in the name of killing these monsters i think that the other thing the other thing because I, I was thinking about the collateral damage in this movie because it's pretty high yeah. i mean if not the same as man of steel it's higher than man of steel because yeah. it's everywhere yeah but i love the fact and, that i love the fact in this one that um the when they kill a kaiju, it just incorporated into the architecture. <laughs> they just, they just right. build around the bones because I guess there's no place to put the bones, so or or just totally just take it apart. And they're like, oh, just build around it. So yeah, yeah. And I, I'll the I also like the fact that 
in this in this world there's at least somewhat it's like they build in an alert system you know it's like a hurricane alert mm-hmm. where they know they know at least a little bit ahead of time when a kaiju is going to pop up and it can give people a chance to evacuate right. and get to shelters and that type of thing and i like that they address that so it's not like when these fights make it to the cities they're just killing everybody everywhere mm-hmm. there's at least ample opportunity or at least some opportunity for people to get the hell out of there but at least it also establishes the fact that sure they're just going around wanting destruction but they actually do show that they do have a mentality and they actually can single people out to go after it's just like yeah. a show where they go out after charlie day and then they also show in a flashback how one of them was just going after a little girl so mm-hmm so that was cool. Yeah, exactly. So, what did you think of uh, the the film's conclusion under the water with Idris Elba essentially deciding to to sacrifice himself? Well, it and just just how the end played it out. It didn't play out exactly as I thought it would. I mean, I I was kind of amused at how like similar it was to ID four. <laughs> With a uh, yeah, especially actually. down to uh, down to the part where the uh, bomb is in the face of the aliens, <laughs> I was like yeah, it's very ID four. But um, but yeah, I was expecting it to be Alba as the one they sacrifice does the jump, but then then they changed it around where he still sacrifices himself. Now Day and uh, Reiko have to make the jump, but um, mm-hmm. the whole maybe it's because I'm just like a closet to pessimist or something but they could have gone for a less than happier ending <laughs> where um where it was yeah. like okay i get it he got Rico out but it wasn't necessary needed that he had to get out so well i think again they're building that franchise they gotta keep gotta keep him alive yeah, yeah but it's it was cool how the machines were just coming undone and they're just try, trying to find any possible way just to keep the mission moving forward yeah I was I was okay with the ending. I thought it was fine. I, I'm not really sure, like, because again, going back to this whole franchise thing, it's like you know that it's not over. You know, another another one of mm-hmm. these like fissures or whatever is just going to open up. So it's like yeah, this almost felt like it was the third part of a trilogy or something. It was yeah. like we just like saw the final battle, or, or this could like be the beginning, and we don't know what's on, around the corner. But um, just the way well, it's set it up, because because it doesn't really, it would have been interesting for a prequel to actually address the invasion and just show how we were dealing with it, how we were losing, and then figure it out a way. Like would be like Pacific Rim Zero, just to keep it in line with Japanese kaiju. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I- but I think that because at one point they they say how this happened. It's due to the yeah, the, our, the pollution uh, and and climate change yeah. that gave them the ability to survive the atmosphere. Survive global warming is real. It happened before. <laughs> yeah, that that maybe gave it, them it was, the ability. It was uh, it was giant kaiju farts or something. <laughs> yeah. So. What's what's gonna prevent them from just opening up another rift or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> like they're just gonna open up another one and open another one and send three at a time as opposed to one. So, yeah, and I th- yeah. so I guess 
that kind of just thinking about that kind of made the the end less impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about the fact that oh, they could just open up another one. So, you know, I, I like Didris Elba's character, and I was sad to see him get killed, but I kind of saw a lot of that coming. Yeah, and um, of course they had the uh, post credit tag with uh, Perlman, which was kind of funny. Oh, I didn't see that. What, oh, you missed what, that? What, yeah, what happened? It there? was uh, right after the uh, the uh, credits with uh, that had the graphics on it. Uh, they're just saying they cut back to the uh, city where that baby kaiju died. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing the side of that kaiju getting like bulging and getting punched. And then you think, oh, great, something's coming out. And then a knife comes out. <laughs> and then that... Ron Perlman, no, all covered in gook, comes out. He's like, Where's my shoe? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, then that's how it ends. <laughs> so, oh, that was cool. That sucks then, that I missed that. All right, any other it, spoilers to add? I feel like there was a couple of things I missed in um, there, but oh, the uh, the the when the uh, one kaiju flies and is taking up into the atmosphere when when the uh, when they pull the sword out of the uh oh yeah that was huge. like i was i was not expecting a sword i like that is so cool that like brought me back to voltron mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was yeah. like voltron cool i think fans of any kind of giant robot series like and gundam was... voltron any of that stuff will will definitely be into this movie and then uh, another fight after that was where there was uh, with the sword there was a uh, a kaiju charging I that was, was was it was it was it gypsy was it called gypsy rose G- it was no called? it was uh gypsy, gypsy danger gypsy danger and then the thing comes at him and then they shove the sword in the mouth and then the momentum he keeps moving forward and gets cut in half yeah <laughs> that was like, that, that was, was really cool. cool that was in the underwater scene um the other going back to the other jaegers like i said before we got into spoilers i wanted to see more of them i felt like they mm. died way too quickly like yeah. those they got destroyed immediately and these are supposed to be like the cream of the crop and like the, mm-hmm. the I really wanted to see the one that had the three arms the Jap- the the one that was piloted by the triplets I wanted to see that fight and yeah. it was like oh man because it's they possible got- that maybe they did shoot something and cut it down because the movie's for them it was getting too long but in today's standards like two and a half hours is not too long for a summer blockbuster but no. it would have been it would have been great if they actually showed these guys in a fight, so so you can see just how badass these guys are, and then they go up into the next fight, and then they're getting their asses kicked, and then you're gonna right, know what exactly. the hell's going on. So, but yeah. that that doesn't happen. They're, you're just you're just told, yeah, these guys are awesome, but then they're like, oh, that was fast. <laughs> yeah, they get killed almost immediately, <laughs> which I, yeah, that didn't I didn't like, and even even um the other Jaeger that was supposed to be like the big badass one, the Mark five or whatever, like even that gets disabled right away. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't too into that. I did like all the stuff outside of the robot though. Like when they were shooting the flares at it and stuff, I thought that that was was cool. And I think that that again, lended, lended itself to realizing exactly how big these robots are mm-hmm. and i thought that that was that was all really cool but yeah i mean i gave it i gave it a seven out of ten so 
where where do you think you're going to be sitting with it? I'm probably about a six and a half, seven, somewhere in that area. Yeah, I felt so maybe after maybe after see it again. Yeah, see that's the thing. I need to what I need to do is see it again because usually after I see one of these big you know action fests, I'll feel one way or the other, and then mm-hmm. my thoughts of it could change pretty dramatically. Right. right. So I don't know. Definitely worth a rewatch, but either way, I would highly recommend seeing it if you haven't already. Because mm-hmm. it's yeah, if you're if you if you're a fan of that kind of stuff or just want to see cool destruction, then yeah, it's definitely the one to see. I mean, I would say see it over uh, Man of Steel and Lone Ranger without question. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would. But I, but I, I still would think definitely... Star Trek and Iron Man are better though. You know? I I think I enjoyed this more than Star Trek, but it's it's close. It's pretty much pretty much the same. I just for some reason watching these, I mean, they hit somebody, they hit a kaiju in the face with a huge like cargo ship and use it as a baseball <laughs> bat. <laughs> like That's I wanted more. I did cool. I did want I was thinking to be it would be cool if they had more stuff like that in this though, like just using the environment in creative ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's only one fight that takes place in the city, right? Yeah. And that, to me, that was like the coolest uh, fight scene. I, I thought mm-hmm. that, that was really, yeah, really I think cool. in that, in that same fight, a kaiju got into it and just grabbed a crane and <laughs> used it as a bat too. Yeah. I mean, that's, so I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was the same monster though, but I think they were fighting two monsters in that yeah that one was that was when two of them came through and that one of them was the the flying one all right any final thoughts on pacific rim um it was basically exactly what it was supposed to be a giant monsters versus robots movie with um it's a pure summer popcorn film that won't disappoint unless you're not into that kind of stuff yeah yeah i agree i i think that it was it was a lot of fun and you know, it, it it's the kind of movie that you probably don't want to analyze too much. Don't want to overanalyze this movie because it's it probably will fall apart if you think about mm. it. Yeah. The more you think yeah. about it, the more problems are gonna pop up. So I think it's just kind of a movie to just sit back and enjoy and just have fun with. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Ernie, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to speak with us. Hey, no problem. All right, let's talk about some predictions. Uh, we're recording this a day early, so some of these numbers might not be 100% accurate, but uh, Grown Ups 2, you said 5, I said 8, actual 7. Oh, damn it. Yeah, earlier, earlier in the week it was at 0, and I was really hoping it would stay there. Oh, my God. Who gave this a good review? Who did it? Rex Reed? Rex Reed? <laughs> just that Rex Reed is going to be everything for me now. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think we're going to be coming back to Rex Reed a lot. Adam, Adam Graham from Detroit News. For, this is the, the pool quote that they have. Friendship, family, and breasts. Sometimes that's all you need. Jesus yeah. Christ. Michael A. Smith from Media Mics, whatever the hell that is. This is, yeah. Sometimes I think that they just do that to go against the grain. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, then we have Pacific Rim. 
I said 76. You said 80. Actual 72 right now. I'm Pacific mm. Rim. Yep. I'm losing everything. Uh, normally, you've been doing pretty good, actually. I know. Falling apart here. This week was... Um, Watch me glad. be dead on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, too late. All right. Next week, we have Turbo... Turbo. I think this looks pretty terrible, but this I bet... looks idiotic. This is like turbo snails, right? Turbo snails. I think it's just the one snail. Like he, I think the premise is that he wants to be fast, but he's like a snail, so he's really slow, and he somehow falls into a tank of nitrous mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in like a street racer, and he <laughs> this is <laughs> he, he he gets injected with the nitrous fantastic and i think like the premise is that they want to enter him into nascar or something yeah yeah. he's trying he's trying to achieve his biggest dream which is winning the indy 500 oh god yeah dude he's fast and they're furious okay yeah whatever (laughs) i'm gonna say 65 uh i have no idea how to gauge these or guess these. Yeah, it's a complete shot in the dark. <clears throat> 70? I don't know. Then we have red 2. Now, so, see, I like the first red, but I something tells me that this one's not going to be... This is happening. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't know. So this is happening, huh? What do you think on red 2? I'm thinking 42. 42? Okay. I'm going to say 46. Then we have mm-hmm. RIPD. Holy man. Oh my god. This looks <laughs> This looks just uh, awful. AK Men in Black 4. I'm going to say 40. I'm going to say like a 24. <laughs> yeah. Something tells me you're going to be closer on that one. And uh, we have The Conjuring, James Wan. James Wan. We'll be coming back to this later in the week. Uh James Wan. I'm going to go like 50 Two. I'm gonna I'm gonna say seventy. I'm hoping it'll be good. Uh, limited release. We have computer chess, which we didn't like too much, but I think we're gonna have somebody revisit that. Get a get a get a second opinion on that. There we go. Dealing if they, with if it, they disagree with me, though, I'm gonna delete that review. <laughs> not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure that'll be a good idea. But. <laughs> Uh, dealing with idiots, which is the Jeff Garland comedy. That's actually on on demand right now. Mm. So we'll have a review for that up at some point. Only God forgives. What? What? Only what? God forgives. Hitting yes. on demand. As Are well. you? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, call, I'm calling off. I'm. I'm not, I'm not going into work until beyond excited for this. Blackfish, which we just mentioned, the act of killing, which I'm still dying to see, like three years later. Yeah, I know. I feel like that movie. I'm pretty sure that was like one of the first documentaries we talked about on the site when we like first created it. I have a feeling that that's correct. Uh, and then finally, Grabbers, which I was not too into, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. I think I'm gonna review this one. Yeah. All right, DVD and Blu-ray releases. We have 42, which I don't have any interest in. Do you have any interest in 42? Mm, I'll probably see it at some point, just because I'm a huge baseball guy. Yeah, see, 
I used to be anytime <laughs> a, a baseball movie would come out, I'd be all about it. But for some reason, this one just doesn't interest me. <laughs> it's like the greatest baseball story ever, <laughs> and you're like, eh, eh I prefer guessing. Rookie of the Year. <laughs> oh God, uh, uh, I think that's offensive in some way. I well, I might check it out. I don't know. And we have Evil Dead. Uh, I would recommend checking this out. I didn't, after seeing it again, I saw it twice in the theater. Once was at South By, and then I saw it again when it actually came out. Um, se- second time, I didn't like it as as much, but I still think it's pretty fun. Uh, Bullet to the Head, which is the Sylvester Stallone movie, which I didn't really hear good things about that. Doesn't look too good, so I might skip that. And then uh, regular show, seasons one and two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's got a great uh, looking cover, too. Nice. Uh, that's all I have. Do you have anything to add? There's only one criterion, which is the 1963 adaptation of William Golding's legendary novel, Lord of the Flies, is coming to Blu ray. Very nice. Which I've been, this has been on my list of films to watch for since I knew films existed. And I still haven't seen it. So maybe this will make me do it? Probably not. Is this the original Lord of the Flies? I think so. I don't know if there was... Isn't there two of them? There's one that... This is is the good one. There there was one later. Um, When was that? I think think maybe in the 90s? Yeah, 99. Or no, not 99. 1990, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and there's been TV shows. But this is supposed to be considered the good one. Not hmm. the one that has Balthazar Getty. That's the bad one. If you remember Balth- Balthazar Getty. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedbackfilmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. The air conditioner just went off and that scared me. <laughs> like, whoa, was that thing going to explode? <laughs> I heard it. I heard it through my end. I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> it was like right behind me. I'm like, what is that? <laughs>